You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And today is the 15th day of June 2021. Guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And tonight my wife is going to be a little bit late. She'll be on a little bit later. She is at baseball practice with my daughter, or softball practice. Anyway, Emmett, my son, is going to be reading for me tonight. Uh, We're going to be covering Chapter 11. Is that right, Emmett? Uh, yep, I think so. Also, can you hear me okay? Yeah, try to get the mic a little bit closer to your mouth. 
Okay, how about now? That's better. So it's Chapter okay. 11 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 5, and the title is, uh, well, I can't remember. It, uh, the, the Need for Devils and False Prophets, I think, right? Yep. Okay, I am actually at the mine getting ready to head up to get loaded. So I'll dedicate the program, and then you can get right into the reading, and just the same as yesterday. When you get to the end of the page, let me know. All right, I'll dedicate the program right now. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for this time that we have to dedicate unto thee, that we might be able to talk about these things. We ask for thy blessing to be upon us and say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go ahead, Emma. All right. Um, Without further ado, (laughs) there is evil in the world, and there is good. There is also good. Was there ever a counterfeit without a true coin? No. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses 7, 240. It is sometimes difficult to understand why God created such a beautiful world and then allowed evil, sin, and wickedness to have so much dominion over it. Dominion over it. Where does this evil come from? Isaiah records the answer. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Isaiah 45, 6 and 7. But why does God put evil on the earth that he created? This has been a great mystery to both Protestant and Catholic scholars. And there are very few good answers. Bible scholars have commented, to what extent physical sufferings are the necessary means to the greater good is. However, a great question. Uh, Unger's, I believe, Bible Dictionary, or dictating one of those, PIC, uh, on page 329. Of this problem, some have been embittered. Zondervan, uh, Encore of the Bible, something like that, ENC, 2.420. God is against evil, but its existence is awful, or is a stumbling block to belief in a God of love. Uh, the Illustrated Bible Dictations, the course, whatever it is, 147, uh, page 148. <laughs> uh, just keep Okay. Philosophers have pondered the existence of evil for centuries, and many ordinary people, stricken by the tragedy, or by tragedy, or victimized by the sins of others, have cried out why. The Revel Bible, uh, DAC, page 250, or 352. Ugh. God is, uh, no, that was that one. Jeremiah was perplexed with the, na- the natural evils of life, and questioned, why is my main perpetual and my wound incurable? or my pain is perpetual, not pain, and incurable, which refuses to be healed. Jeremiah fifteen eighteen. Innumerable evils have come and passed me about. Uh, Psalms, maybe? P.S. 40, 12. Many answers have come with the restoration of the gospel. We now understand why there are false prophets, a devil, and evil influences upon the earth. It originated in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve had to learn the difference between good and evil. And we are all here in mortality to gain the same knowledge and experience. 
Um, the Prince of Devils. The devil is known by many names and titles. Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, Demon, Prince of Devils, Prince of the World, Prince of Darkness, Accuser, Dragon, Serpent, Destroyer, Adversary, Angel, God of the World, and even worshipped as a god. He has a high and powerful office, office with many substations in the government and churches throughout the world. When the Garden of Eden was planted, the devil was n- near by planting wheels by planting weeds, oh, nearby, one word, and he's been around ever since, planting weeds as contention, hatred, every prophet, priest, king, and common man and woman has suffered from his diabolical schemes and influences. In the book of Job, the devil presented himself before the Lord as one of the sons of God. He was very ambitious, determined, and enthusiastic about his mission, but he could only do what he was allowed to do. Brigham Young said, Every earth has its redeemer, and every earth has its tempter. Germinal of Discourses, uh, 1471. Uh, And we are on page 149 now. I just keep on reading. I'm loading here. Got it. When we have lived to see millions of worlds created, yea, more in number than the particles of matter that compose this earth and millions of earth like this, of earths like this, if so many could be numerated by man and people live on them to pass through the ordeals we are passing through, you will never see one of them without a devil. Journal of Discourses 908. Do you not suppose that it is necessary to have devils mixed up with us to make saints of us? We are yet, or as yet, obliged to have devils in our community. We could not build up the kingdom without them. Many of you know that you cannot get your endowment without the devils being present. Indeed, we cannot make rapid progress without devils. The devils, I mean. Journal of Discourses 3, 49 and 50. Most of the time, when the devil has made an appearance, he has been like a fine gentleman, and even as an angel of light. Brigham Young once said, I will defy any man on earth to be more gentlemanly and bland in his manners than the master spirit of all evil. We call him a devil, the devil, a gentleman so smooth and so oily that he can almost deceive the very elect. Journal of Discourses 12, 128. The Christians teach a different kind of devil, wearing a red suit, having a long tail and horns, and carrying a pitchfork. Joseph S. Smith explained, We have been deceived. We thought that the devil had long horns and a tail, and a, a cloven foot, and was black, hideous and grinning. But when we find him out, he is a gentleman in a black broadcloth, with a smooth tongue, pleasant countenance, high forehead, and so on. Quite a good-looking fellow. This is, that is the kind of person we find the devil to be. And we will find him in more persons than one. And that, too, right in this city. Journal of Discourses 11, 313. Page 150. Anything to say, Dad? Um, yeah. Um, I was just going to say, when I was five years old, I lived in North Powell Lake. And uh, we had a uh, this little orange house kind of by the refineries by I-15. And I pointed it out to you before, Emma, when we were driving past. 
But anyway, um, I remember one morning, it was a Saturday morning because I was excited to get up and watch cartoons, and I remember looking through the threshold of the doorway and seeing a man standing in my doorway that I could not see through, and he was completely black, and he had a top hat on. And I called him Darth Vader because I didn't know what to call him, but Darth Vader seemed about right. Anyway, but later on I found out that that was Satan because I've seen him so many times, just ridiculous how many times. But uh, tell the people about when we were in uh, Connecticut and you saw him, Emma. Do you remember that? And I'd never told Emmett about this. Yeah, I never told Emmett about this. I never talked about this, but Emmett saw him, and he said, Dad, there's there's a man that's all covered. And I, he gave the description. Hold on. Man, this was forever ago. I don't remember most of it. <laughs> I do remember what he looked like, though. Yeah, so hold on here. I'm just headed down off the hill now. Uh, so I'm going to mute myself because there's a lot of radio traffic and I got to pay attention to a lot of things. So go ahead and uh, read or talk about the experience if you want. It's your choice. Okay, bye. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to mute myself. Okay. Man, that was forever ago. I don't remember most of it. Um, I do sort of remember what he looked like, though, and it made me feel really uneasy just looking at him. But anyways, um, the Prophet Joseph described the devil with the angelic form, the sanctified-looking gesture, and the zeal that is frequently manifested by him for the glory of God. Together with the prophetic spirit... The gracious influence, the godly appearance, and the holy guard, which are so characteristic of his proceedings and his mysterious windings, windings, windings. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 205. Joseph knew this because of an actual confrontation with him. Heber C. Kimball related, When I returned home, I called upon Brother Joseph, and we walked down the bank of the river. He, told, he there told me what confess he had with the devil. Oh, he had had. He told me that he had contests with the devil, face to face. Journal of Discourses 3.229 The devil is needed to give man the opportunity of learning good and evil, so, so he can be exalted. A man must gain his crown as a victor in battle, and so a devil gives a man that chance. Brigham Young always expressed the need and blessing of having a devil. Once he said, all is right and the devil is not dead, for which we have had, or which we have great reason to be thankful. Journal of Discourses 7.139 God uses the devil for his own purposes, and he uses wicked men for the same reasons. Brigham Young also explained, if God has foreordained certain men to certain ends, it is because he knew all things from eternity. As in the case of Pharaoh, who he knew would be, do wickedly, consequently selected him to be put upon the throne. You are determined to be wicked and carry out the schemes of the devil. Therefore, I will use you to promote my kingdom on the earth and to exalt me among men. For I know that you will do all that you can 
uh, all you can against my children, against my work and against my grace to save the children of men. God raised him. Uh, God raised him to the throne of Egypt because he foresaw that in this position he could use him to the greatest advantage in his cause, not because he was foreordained to that position. Journal of Discourses 108-160. Man, I feel like I have dyslexia reading some of this. Um, Dad, we are on page 151. I'm going into the void, but I just wanted to say also that Everybody that is around me for any length of time does have the same experiences. My family, aunts and uncles, cousins, mom, brothers and sisters. Uh, Kim will talk about it later, uh, maybe if she wants to. But we know what he looks like because of who I am and what I'm doing. Anyway, um, I'll talk more about it later, but I'm going to go into the void, so I might have to call back in. I'm just going to mute myself. Oh, okay. I'll probably be. It's about a four mile the area, so I'll get the other side as soon as I can. <laughs> okay, as you can hear, he's starting to break up quite a bit. Uh, okay, talk to you in a bit, Dad. Um, continuing on, two kinds of deities were represented in the persons of Moses and Pharaoh. This gave the children of Israel a chance to see the difference. However, the true and false often are not so obvious and even appear very similar. The prophet Joseph explained, The Egyptians were not able to discover the difference between the miracles of Moses and those of the magicians until they came to be tested together. And if Moses had not appeared in their midst, midst, they would be unquestionable. Or they would unquestionably have thought that the miracles of the magicians were performed through the mighty power of God. For they were great miracles that were performed by them. A supernatural uh, agency was developed, and a great power manifested. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 202. And from Orson Pratt, as soon as the Book of Mormon came forth, the counterfeit then spread like the counterfeit gifts exercised by the old magicians of Egypt. When Moses went down with the power and authority of heaven, the counterfeit sprang up in order to delude the Egyptians and make them think the power of Moses was the same in character as that exercised by the magicians. Journal of Discourses 113, verses 134 and 135. Brigham Young also commented on the difficulty of telling the difference between these two great powers. Christians may see many miracles performed, may see the sick healed, the eyes of the blind opened, the lame made to leap, and even the dead raised, and may acknowledge that it is all done by the power of God. But will all this enable them to discern whether it is the power of God or not? No, it will not. They must have had the spe- or they must have the spirit by which the dead are raised, by which the sick are healed, and the eyes of the blind opened. Or they cannot tell whether it is done by the power of God or the power of the devil, or whether it is a mist over their own eyes. Journal of Discourses 3, 115. And we are on page 152 now, I believe, but I don't know if he's back. Can you hear me? Now I can. Okay. This is like one of those areas that's kind of iffy, like sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about 
Satan has his own priesthood, and there is power in that priesthood. Um, between the ages of 16 to 19, um, I had I had become a Baptist, um, but uh, after Job Corps, I was in Job Corps, and I got a degree in advanced diesel mechanics. There was a time when I really got into tarot cards and Ouija boards and spells, and I had a whole bunch of books about witchcraft and all this stuff, and I had friends that were really into this. And I saw so many things that supernatural things during that time and power in those dark arts. And that's all done by Lucifer's, or well, I don't like to call him Lucifer. I only do because everybody else does, but Satan's power. Uh, in the temple, and I'm not giving up tokens, so I don't get your underwear in a bunch for all of the people. They're like, oh, I don't talk about the temple. Okay, you can talk about the things in the temple, you just don't divulge the... Uh, the signs and tokens, and um, uh, and real quick, the penalties are not, uh, if somebody divulges, this is what the anti-Mormon morons say, if somebody divulges the signs and tokens, that you will suffer your life to be taken out by however it is, splitting your throat or disemboweling yourself. No, that's not what the penalties were, not even close. You would suffer your life to be taken rather than divulge the secret, the sacred signs and tokens. It has nothing to do with offering yourself up. And, and there's no penalty. If you do divulge the signs and tokens, there's no penalty in the endowment that says, I'm going to allow somebody to do this to me or for somebody to go and do it to them, to, to kill them. That's never been in the endowment. So anyway, but they took those things out back in the 90s. Um, but um, getting back to Satan's power. Yeah, uh, in the temple, he comes out and Adam says, and this is all allegories that have t- our teaching tools, parables, if you will. Satan comes out and he, uh, Adam looks at him and says, what is this apron you have? And Satan says, this is a symbol of my priesthood. He has priesthood. Guess what? So what? Women have priesthood too, but that's been taken out of the church. And I've talked about that. I think Holy Priesthood Volume 2 talks all about the matriarchal priesthood, uh, which was done a couple months ago. You can go back to blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon to learn more about that. But... Um, getting back to this other thing. Yeah, Satan, before he fell, he was called Hillel, or the bearer of light and truth. He was an archangel, like Michael. Jesus Christ was also an archangel. Lucifer lost his position of authority, and he became Satan. He had his office and title taken from him. Now, I've seen him as he truly is, and I've seen him as he's tried to appear to me. He's done the whole angel of light thing to me, too. Uh, my brother was in the room when, he, when that happened. And it scared the crap out of us. We were, I was like 14, I think, at the time. He was younger than I was. But anyway, but I've seen Satan as he is. He looks just like Jesus Christ. And if you can't tell the difference by vision, 
I mean, he looks just like uh, there's in Desert Book. They have paintings of faith, and this is Jesus. It's not, but you have to have to know you're breaking up in Jesus. All right, I'll mute myself. Okay, and man, when when he first started talking, that was kind of funny when he was talking about. Ouija boards just remind me of that one meme. Anyways, continuing on from where we were at. Um, which one was I just reading? Oh man, I got lost. Yeah. Uh, Aren't you on page one fifty two? I know, but it was right before the end of the thing. It was in the middle of a quote. Okay. An editorial from the Millennial Star gives an interesting description of the devil, making detection a little easier. It is a great mistake to suppose that Satan is altogether a religious personage. No, far from this. He is a politician, a philosopher, uh, an erudite scholar, or erudite, a linguist, a metaphysician, a military commander, a prince, a god, a necromancer, an enchanter, a diviner, a magician, a sorcerer, a prophet, and, if it were not railing, a clergyman and a liar from the beginning. With these universal endowments, he has never hit his own, here's who, um, I don't know how to say that, made a full and grand exhibition of himself, as it remains for him to do. Millennial Star, 15274. It is not just men and miracles that require the spirit of discernment to determine their source, but more especially teachings and doctrines. Wiggum Young caution. The adversary presents his principles and arguments in the most approved style and in the most winning tone, attended with the most, grace, the most graceful attitudes, and he is very careful to ingratitate himself into the favor of the powerful and influential of mankind, uniting himself with popular parties floating on to off, or into offices of trust. Journal of Discourses, 11 When the devil gets into such positions, he influences people to believe in some minor changes in true principles, and thereby gains a major victory. Again, Brigham warned, let, let a saint diverge from the path of truth and rectitude in the least, no matter what, and his mind will begin to darken to be darkened. Ugh. Journal of Discourses 3, 222. Uh, we are on page 153 now. So, some interesting things about Lucifer before he fell. He was a resurrected being who was born on an older earth. He's lived in many lifetimes. He's very intelligent. When he fell... He had his resurrection taken from him, which he would have, he actually agreed to give that up to be the witness. Um, So when he fell, he fell as a spirit, but he did have a body at one time. And um, as a spirit, he has not gone under the veil. He has not forgot who he was. He remembers all of those lifetimes. And he remembers literally millions of years worth of lifetimes because he lived many lives on older earths, multiple earths in the past. And he is very, very intelligent. 
the reason why he's called a snake is because when he wraps himself around uh, truth, he squeezes it. And he continues to squeeze until the truth is given up here a little and there a little. And he's playing the long game. He's kind of like the Chinese. The Chinese are playing a long game. Their culture is old. They know how the long games work. That's the same thing with Soviet Russia, which still is in existence. I know they want you to think that they fell. They did not fall. Um, They want you to believe that they're not a threat. Um, But they still have all their nuclear weapons, and they're just waiting to bide their time. They've, They've injected the poison of socialism within this, uh, within this country and, and anywhere they could get it into the countries around the world. But Satan is very, very intelligent. And one of the greatest mistakes that the early leaders of the church did was they thought that they could play the devil at, at his own game, that they could lie about their true intentions with the 1890 manifesto where they said that they were going to give it up, but then they continued to run it until uh, until 1910. You know, and in uh, Daniel chapter 7, we see that the saints of the Most High will be worn out by the beast until the Ancient of Days comes. So the Ancient of Days is Father Michael, and that is Adam and I'm Diamon when he comes. So we can expect to be buffeted and worn out by... Satan, as long as we're a threat to his kingdom. So one of the reasons why I've seen him so much is because when Satan fell, God chose me to take his office of authority as the second witness of the Father or the bearer of light and truth, which office was taken away from him. And then others were called to take my place, and then there was others of the mighty and strong ones who fell as well. But... He knows who I am. He's known who I am before I even knew who I am. Like since I was a little child. And even before I could, the first time I remember seeing him is when I was five years old. But my mom tells me stories of things that happened, and I'm her oldest. Um, But she told me stories of things that happened, supernatural, demonic type things. That happened when we lived in Centerville when I was even younger than that. Because he knows who I am. That's why he follows me around. So I've lived, uh, by the time I turned 18, I had moved over 100 times. Uh, In one of my journals, I sat down, and it took me a while to remember all the places I'd lived. But I think before I was 16, it was 67 different places. Because he would follow me around and things would happen and people wanted to get rid of me because they knew when I was there, it wouldn't be long before things would start happening, supernatural things. Because Satan's always tried to attack me because I took his position of authority. And that's why I tell people, if you are a threat to the devil's kingdom, he will come after you full force. And that's probably why prophets always try to hide from the people because Satan uses weak-minded individuals to come after the prophets. That's why Elijah went and hid in the cave because he he was under threat of death from Jezebel and from the false prophets of Baal. And even though he had power and authority, 
and he still had to hide from the people. So one of the problems I see in the church today is they don't teach who Satan really is, but also they don't have any sort of persecution because they're not a threat to the devil's kingdom because they've given up so much because he's put the pressure on them like that bow constrictor I was talking about. And he keeps squeezing so that the people will conform to his ways instead of God's ways. Anyway, go ahead, Emma. We're on page 153. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's happened to him even since we've met him. That is weird. <laughs> um, anyways, continuing. 153. Thus, it is extremely important to be able to discern to discern between the true and false. Otherwise, we will be deceived and internally regret the mistake. False prophets and teachers. Since the devil cannot make personal appearances wherever he wants to create evil, his servants do it for him. Uh, these are known as false prophets, satanic prophets, deceived prophets, um, fallen prophets, false apostles, false teachers, etc., etc. This list could go on and on to include some politicians, ministers, educators, business executives, uh, another etc. <laughs> Nearly everyone has been duped, deceived, tempted, and swayed by that master of evil, and most do not even know it. The devil's deceptions are so cunning that even those who serve him think they are serving God. He is a master of uh, camouflage. He makes evil appear good and good appear to be evil. He has divided Christianity into thousands of different sects. And all the ministers think they are serving Christ. A false prophet will never admit he is a false prophet because he's convinced that he is serving God. It is those who profess to serve Christ that are the devil's main targets. And are, they are, are the closer they are to God, the more he tempts them. Therefore, men with the holy priesthood, of course would be the most tried, tested, and tempted by the evil ones. The prophets, like all the men except the Lord Jesus Christ, were fallible and sinful. In their human capacity, they were apt to error. It was only when directly presenting a message that God chose to give them that their words were free from error. Uh, I don't know what that one is. I think zoned... Uh, EMC of the Bible, 4885, or 4885, one thing. Uh, anyways, what is it the next again? Page. It What's is z o n d dot e n c dot. Oh, Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible. It's just a Protestant. We actually have them uh, in my library. There's like 26 volumes. It's pretty interesting. Okay, so I'm it. If I'm going into sunny side depth. If I break up, sometimes it's a pain in the butt to call back in, but I'll call back in yeah. as soon as I can, and I'll let you know when I'm on the other side of the dip, which is only like two miles. Okay. Okay. Um, got it. Well, I guess I'm continuing on for a bit. <laughs> there were several hundred prophets of Baal. See First Kings 18. These men possessed unusual powers and gifts to support the worship of their God. And what is most interesting is their faith, sincerity, and determination in serving him. For example, in the contest with Elijah, they cried to their God from morning until noon, and then they proceeded to cut themselves after their manner 
with knives and lances till the blood gushed upon them. Uh, verse 28. That's real dedication and sincerity. Elijah was without such enthusiasm, emotion, and diligence, but nevertheless he manifests the power of God to the destruction of hundreds of these false prophets. But we do not have such powers of God manifest today. The false prophets uh, and the false prophets flourish in greater numbers. Too often we assume that people who claim to be prophets must actually be, actually be true prophets. Jeremiah foretold of prophets that were not prophets, and the Lord said to him, The prophet's prophecy lies in my name. I send them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophecy or prophesy unto you a false vision and divination. Jeremiah fourteen fourteen. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets deceive you, for they prophesy prophecy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. Jeremiah twenty nine, eight and nine. Ezekiel also warned of warned of men who claimed to be prophets. Son of man, prophecy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy, and say thou unto them that prophesy out of their own hearts. Hear ye the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Uh, I think, yeah, it's Ezekiel 13, 2 and 3. Okay, That's so we're on page, page 154. Now. Uh-huh. You've got 155. Uh, anything to say? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Okay. So, before the fall of Babylon, God rose up many prophets that went throughout the land, warning the people. But Satan raised up many false prophets in the land as well. And we're seeing that happen again today because it is coming the time for a, a people to come out of this people that will be obedient to God's commandments. And he's calling people to gather now at this time, he's called me to gather people to uh, Emory County, and uh, actually in 2016, we were living in Spanish Fork, and he commanded me to take my family and move to, to uh, Emory County, Utah, and to wait there until the time came when I, and that I would know when the time was, and then there's a place of safety that he has prepared for us in the, in the wilderness. But this is a time of gathering, because God needs a people that will do all that God has commanded. Um, excuse me. Oh. So, um, but, yeah, he's raising up a lot of false prophets. Now, he's been raising up these false prophets and false teachers. In Matthew chapter 23, it talks about many, many be, being deceived by false prophets. They have been in the church since before... Paul died. Because in the New Testament, he said, even now there are many who are teaching all these false doctrines. And um, after pagan Rome hijacked early Christianity, it just went downhill directly with all the false teachers and false leaders. And now we have something called the falsely anointed ones who claim to have the authority of God, and they've been anointed... Uh, in the temple and and even given second anointings, but they don't have any of the fruits of being true prophets, seers, and revelators. And they they pretend 
to be something that they're not, and they're leading people astray like Judas goes. But then you have other false prophets who, who rise up, like Denver Snuffer, who talk many great things, who, who speak things to the people that are true, but in key areas, they lead people astray so that they will not be obedient to God's commandments. And I know there's the people out there. All, there are many people out there who are waiting for Denver to tell them what to do. No, you don't need to wait for any man to tell you what to do. You can set your house in order with groups of people that you are like-minded with, but you won't, still you won't set the house of God in order by yourself, as Jesus said would have to happen in section strong. And the only reason for that is because there's only one person on the earth right now who's been filled up to the Father, and you're, you're listening uh, to him right now. You broke off a bit when you said what section it was. What was that? DNC section 85. All right, I'm going in Wellington Cut. It's only I, just a couple, it's a mile. I'll just mute myself while you read. Okay. Well, I believe we're on 155. But there have always been more false prophets than true ones, and we have been repeatedly warned about them. With his false prophets, the devil works against the true pr prophets, and there is a continual battle of principles. Dr. Hugh Nibley stated, I hope I'm pronouncing that word right, one of the most interesting features of the Book of Mormon is the inclusion in it of long speeches by false prophets. These men are skilled uh, sophists, sophists, to use all the stock arguments against the gospel with practice, skill, and great success. It is hard for a philosopher today to find anything to add to the arguments of uh, Sherem, 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 uh, Korihar, one of those, uh, Zezram, or Nihor. See uh, Tamara Nibley, page 240. Toward the end of the 200 years of peace among the Nephites, False prophets infiltrated the work of Christ, and they established many priestcrafts. The people were led by many priests and false prophets to build up many churches. Fourth, or fourth Nephi uh, 134. False prophets usually rise up along the, or alongside the true ones, often with the same church. Elder Mark uh, Forsett, Forsett said, The richest productions of ingenuity, the most uh, consummate skill and elaborate tastes have been under the despotic, despotic power of priestcraft. Turned from the legitimate use to the degradation of man. Millennial Star 2613. In other words, priestcraft is corrupted by, er, is corrupted priesthood. And as principles of priestcraft are introduced, the power and gifts of the priesthood are lost. False prophets have a tendency to institutionalize the gospel and try to confirm gospel principles to be in harmony with the world. Isaiah gave a key to discerning such deception. Page 156. Are you there? Yeah. Um, so you've got false prophets like Heber J. Grant, who near the end of his life lamented that the heavens were as brass to him, and that he had not received any revelation from God. But he changed so many things within the Restoration. 
He made the word of wisdom a commandment, which in the Revelation it says this is not given by way of commandment. And the people just justify it because they're like, oh, well, he gave it not as a commandment at first, but now it's a commandment. Well, it's really interesting that in section 29 of the Doctrine and Covenants, Jesus tells us not to make wine or strong, or not to use wine or strong drink for sacrament unless you make it new among you, which means use it when you make it new among you. And the only reason he gave that commandment was because there were enemies trying, or they were actually poisoning the, uh, the sacrament wine that the saints were buying at the time. Now, we can go out to the liquor store and buy wine and strong drink, which is whiskey or bourbon or whatever the strong drinks are, distilled liquors. And there's a, there's a specific symbolism to using that kind of thing for sacrament. But using water is not, it's just dumb. Like the symbolism is gone. Oh, hold on here. The symbolism is just gone with using water to, uh, you know. Well, and there's uh, places in the world where water is contaminated and people use wine because it's safer to drink, you know. So, um and it's not that hard to make wine or liquors if you know how. Like Emmett's made wine before because we took wine making classes. Um, and it was fine. It, uh, it tasted yeah, edible uh, at worst. <laughs> edible, yeah. So we do use wine for sacraments. Um, so, but anyway, um, it's not that hard. But like in areas, in colder areas where they didn't have vineyards, they would use whatever strong drink they can make out of the potatoes or the corn or whatever it is that they made or however they made it. But that was that was completely acceptable. The only commandment about alcohol is not to be a drunkard. And when I was asking God, I, I was like way TBM. And I was like, I used Listerine to wash my mouth. And I was thinking, well, this has alcohol in it, and the alcohol gets into my blood. Am I contaminating myself? And I was, like, really concerned about this. And I was standing in front of um, at Walmart in uh, North Georgia, and I was like, should I buy this alcohol-free stuff? It doesn't really work for what I need, or, you know, is it okay to use this? And God told me, gave me a revelation. He said, it is not a sin to drink alcohol. It is a sin to be a drunkard. When you drink alcohol, when you feel the effects of the alcohol, put it down so you get a little buzz, put it down, and drink something else. So you're not a drunkard. Being a drunkard and drinking alcohol are two separate things. So, And they didn't have a pasteurization process for wine back in the day either. That was invented in the 1800s. Now I'm going up the wall at least he managed to finish his thoughts before he broke up like ridiculously anyways we're on page 156 but we're on page 913 in volume 2 of ensign to the nations uh, holy priesthood volume 5 page 156 uh to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Isaiah 8.20 and 2 Nephi 18.20. <sighs> Joseph Smith said 
that true prophets always have to be or have to contend against the false ones. False prophets will always arise to oppose the true prophets, and they will prophesy so very near the truth that they will deceive almost the very chosen ones. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, 365. Jesus himself had trouble with them, as recorded in Matthew 23. He said that they were willing, or they were sitting in Moses' seat. But he warned, Do not ye after their works, for they say, and do not. He said, All their works they do for to be seen of men. And they love the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues. They devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, uh, yeah, I think that's it, make long prayer. They appeared to be good men, for they pay tithe of mint and uh, ants and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. They strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. They were like, or they were like unto wooden whited sepulchers, which indeed Why appear beautiful outward. Yeah, it's just like separated between two pages, and that's a confusing word. Um, like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men. But within ye are full of hypocrisy, or hypocrisy, hypocrisy. and iniquity. Iniquity. They would... E- they would even build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous, which makes them appear to be on the right track. But Jesus said, I sent unto you prophets and wise men, but some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. Okay, See Matthew 23. Okay, i, I got to say a couple things. Kim is on the line okay. now. Her line's unmuted, but let me say a few things. Hi, Mom. To the law, to the Torah, and to the testimony, to the Ketavim and the Nevi'im, to the Torah, if they speak not according to these things, you've got to get rid of them. There's no light in them. Now, oh, there's so much to do here. Part of the restoration is the restoration of true Torah law. That's why when John the Baptist said, that, this, uh, that the priesthood would not be taken off the earth until the sons of God offer an offering in righteousness? Well, there is an offering in righteousness. And there is an offering, a blood offering during the millennium too, and as talked about in Ezekiel 37. Um, in section 124, the Doctrine and Covenants, Jesus says if you build this temple, he will restore the times and seasons of God or of Jehovah. Now, the times and seasons are the Moedim, of Yehovah, they are the holy days that were replaced by the holidays of ancient paganism when Rome hijacked the church and did, did things they ought not to have done. And those traditions continue on within the churches of today, and false teachers teach those things in every uh, pulpit throughout the whole earth. Um, so going on, uh, the next one was, let me think here. Oh, why did sepulchers, all that is, is you put dead people in sepulchers for a year while they decay, and then you put them in a oshwurm, oshwurm, I can't say it. Anyway, and then you bring them out. So 
The sepulchers will hold the dead people inside of them, but they're beautiful on the outside, and that's what these hypocrites are like. They wear the the suits of apparel, the fine wool suits, because they're wolves in sheep's clothing, and they do all these things, but inside they're really uh, corrupted by corruptible things like demonic possession. Um, Okay, let me think. There was one other thing I wanted to say. Oh, the seed of Moses. Jesus said to hear what they say when they speak from the seed of Moses. Now, in the synagogues in ancient Israel, you had a seat that was called the seat of Moses. And when you were on the seat of Moses, you read from Torah law. And then the rabbis would stand up and then they would give their crap, twisting of Torah law. But while they were sitting, they would read from the the Torah. Now Jesus taught from the Torah. Everything that you have in the New Testament, you can find in the Old Testament because everything he taught is in God's truth in the Old Testament or the, uh, the Tanakh. It's called the Tanakh. Anyway, so... Um, Oh, let me think here. Like, I'm coming into Savage Yard, and I've got to pay attention to these other things, too. So I'm, like, trying to keep it all in my head. But um, there's a lot of things in... Oh, Jesus, he said, I come not to do away with Torah, not one jot nor tittle, okay? Now, the Christians will say, well, it was nailed to the cross. No, it was not. Paul paid for seven men to have the sacrifice to become, um, what do they call them? The guys with the long hair, like Samuel was, I don't remember, but he was going back to Jerusalem to be part of the feast of, of Pesach and unleavened bread because they still kept it. Even after Jesus was gone, they kept the Torah. It wasn't until uh, Rome hijacked the Christian church, the early Christians, but they did away with all these other things. And the devil persecuted them for doing what God had commanded them to do because they were a threat to his kingdom. But then when Rome hijacked the church, all the persecution towards, uh, towards the church went away, but the people who continued to try to live God's laws, they killed them. Because they were a threat to the devil's kingdom, and people were not allowed to know the truth. Uh, anyway, anyway, Kim, uh, are you on? Uh, yeah, I was uh, on. I just muted myself again. Um, I was actually trying to get on because um, Emmett was doing an awesome job, and he was keeping me updated at what page number that we're on so that I could follow along. And I just want to oh, tell yeah. you, because it kind of goes to what you're saying, so I was on trying to find just like every other night that I have read with you. I've gone on and tried to find it. It was there. I clicked on the link, and guess what? I cannot find it anywhere in your newsfeed. I can't follow along unless I have the book, I guess, now. I know it's you way, way down. I saw it five seconds ago. I know I went way, way down like three or four times because I saw it, clicked on it, and now it's missing, and now I'm seeing all the yep. posts from three days ago. So it's super yeah. weird. Like, I don't ever have any problems, but now all of a sudden, of course, this is why we have those books, so that I can just go and read right from the book. Yeah. Can, yeah, can you tell – um, go ahead. 
Uh, I was just asking where she was, but. Okay, I'm gonna mute. Okay. Um, because I'm about to jump up on the grid, so I'll mute myself. You guys, talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> yeah, if you wanted to, Emmett, what page are you on right now? One fifty-six. We just got there. Wait, no, I forgot. Dad cut me off in the middle of one of them. So we are on 156, okay. but we've been there for a bit. Yeah, and I was listening to you read. You're doing a good job. You use a lot of expression awesome. when you read. I'm more monotone. Uh-huh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, like, try to read it, like, in the mindset of whoever's reading it, I guess. But I don't yeah. remember where we were, so I'm just going to continue from the last place I remember reading, which was okay, talking about good. whited sepulchers. Yeah, I'll um, be there in about so, three minutes, and then I'll help read. Okay, so sorry if this is continuing a whole bunch, but they were like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outwards, but are within full of dead men's bones. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. They would even build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, which makes them appear to be on the right track. But Jesus said, I sent unto you prophets and wise men, but some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. See Matthew 23. Jesus had gave a solemn warning to his disciples. I take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Matthew uh, 24, 4 and 5. Um, we are on page 157 now. Does anyone on have anything to say? Mom? Dad? <laughs> No, I do not. Okay, and I don't know if my dad can hear me, but I'm just going to continue on because he didn't say anything. (laughs) Certainly it is evident, then, that so-called righteous men can be very wrong and very deceived. The objectives of true and false prophets cannot always be distinguished by the methods they use because they are so similar. For instance, the language of love and the language of seduction are the same. The one who wishes a girl for a wife and the one who wishes her for a night in order to throw her away afterward, both say, I love you. Jesus has told us to distinguish the language of seduction from the language of love, and to know the wolves clad in sheepskin from the royal sheep. Portraits for Christ are Wormbrand, Wormbrand? <laughs> uh, I don't know how to pronounce that name very well. Page 15. Dr. Hugh Nibley explained the character of a pseudo-prophet and a false prophet. Um, The scriptural term pseudo-prophet designates one who is not a prophet, but who occupies that place. uh, Or the place that rightly belongs to a prophet. Regardless of whether he has been put there by himself or by his followers. Fool's gold, the glittering yellow pirates that one finds sometimes on the beach, is so-called not because it pretends to be gold, but because fools take it for gold. A pseudo-prophet is only, or is one to whom foolish people accord the obedience and attention due only to a true prophet, or to, or only a true prophet, whether he or they actually take him for a prophet or not. Uh, there's those asterisks, three of them. I think that's an end of a paragraph or something, or an abbreviation. 
Even good, devout, or devout, or sincere men and women can be false prophets. We still live in a world of false prophets. Anyone whose work competes with God's work, who makes claims on the or on the time and energies of men, which rightly belong to God, who puts the word of God in second place to the theories of men, or forces the teachings of true prophets to yield uh, precedence or precedence to his own discourses. Anyone, in a word, who puts his own knowledge above or on a level with revelation from heaven is a false prophet. The world and pro- the prophets. Nibley, uh, P.P., I don't know what that means. Maybe it's a paragraph or something. 254 and 255. We're on page 158. Anyone have anything to say? I'm going to take that as a no. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, I'm going to continue then. (laughs) Um, The false prophet will be be just as sincere, convincing, and well-meaning as the true prophet. The Lord allows the existence of both, just as he does the existence of both good and evil. It gives men additional experience and provides them with an opportunity to choose. Sometimes men who are called by the true prophet simply fail to do their duty. It may not mean they are false prophets, but it does exhibit a weakness. True prophets are sent to warn the people both in and out of the LDS church. They should even warn and at times reprove leaders of governments and nations. In the 1880s, Wilford Woodruff said this government and its leaders were steeped in sin and ripened for the damnation of hell. They have not repented since then and have simply become worse. Some of the church church presidents since that time have met with presidents of the nation. Shortly after World War II, President George Albert Smith visited with President I believe, Harry S. Truman, uh, who should have been rebuked for his political and moral corruption. There's a picture of both President uh, Truman and President uh, George Albert Smith visiting each other. Um, yeah, it's just in this book, I guess. And we are on one, or page 159 now. Any comments, anyone? No, you are reading really fast. You know, it's interesting, in Deseret Book... <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you guys can hear these people talking about all the things that don't matter. Anyway, yeah, um, you yeah, drive me nuts. <laughs> so anyway, um, let me think here. Oh yeah, Deseret Book has this this uh, you know picture book of uh, meetings with prophets and presidents, and it's like. Why is this something to like hold up as like I don't know like popular like don't you know that to become popular to become popular with the world is to be an enmity or an opposition with God and these men are wicked as hell they're all of them um, I mean there's some that I like more than others but they're all wicked as hell. You know, it's no, like, great thing to meet with a president of the United States, a man with position and authority who does who does good sometimes, but sometimes they do bad. But, like, I don't know. I just, I, it just boggles my mind. I don't understand why it's such a big deal. 
But anyway, uh, you're doing a really great job, Emmett. I'll uh, mute myself. Thank you. Oh, man, some of the things that are in this are pretty hilarious. Like, for example, that book you were talking about, it just, like, makes me laugh because, like, why does that even matter that a president visited another one? Like, I don't know. Um, anyways, continuing on, page 159. In 1986, President Ezra Taft Benson visited with President Ronald Reagan. Both of them did fairly well in exposing the corruption uh, in the federal government. But much more could have been said by both. On November 13, 1995, President Clinton and President Hinckley met for half an hour at the White House. But apparently, the LDS church president was not there to warn or approve. We had a very delightful visit, President Hinckley said. He also visited with some of the country's high-level executives. Or executives, and he exclaimed, I enjoyed meeting these people who have so much influence in the world. Church News, November 18, 1995. After his visit, after his visit with President Clinton, oh my goodness, on Monday, President Hinckley traveled to New York for a luncheon at the Harvard Club with several businesses, industry, and media leaders. Uh, several business leaders. Uh, Elder Neil A. Maxwell accompanied, accompanied President Hinckley and introduced him to those assembled. Among those in attendance were Richard Smith, editor-in-chief of Newsweek, John Mack Carter, president of Hearst, Hearst Magazine Enterprises, Andrew Hayward, vice president and an executive producer of CBS Evening News, David Briggs, religion editor of Associated Press, uh, Joyce uh, Tudrin, Tudrin, T-U-D-R-Y-N, that's a weird word. Uh, She's the executive director, or he, of International Radio and Television Society. And Mike Wallace of CBS's Television's uh, 60 Minutes. President Hinckley told those in attendance at the reception that he had not come to Washington to discuss politics, but to express to President Clinton the fact that we pray for him as we do for all of our elected representatives. Church News, November 18, 1995. Admittedly, Presidents Hinckley and Clinton did not discuss any of the national or international problems, but if ever a president of this nation had reason to, rebu- or to be rebuked and warned by the Lord, it is President Bill Clinton. Just visiting and not even mentioning politics seemed to have been a failure to capitalize on golden opportunity, on a golden opportunity. There's a president, or there's a picture of President Hinckley and President Clinton visiting at the White House with each other uh, in this book. Uh, we are on page 160 now. Anyone have anything to say? Yeah, um, you know. I think it was Brigham Young that said, when we become popular with the world, the priesthood is gone from this church. And that was that was prophetic of him to say that uh, for many reasons. There's, like, some of the things that Heber J. Grant did. Uh, like, okay, so remember he said uh, the heavens were as grass to him and he did not receive any revelation from God. Well, before he was yeah. president of the church, he and Charles Penrose were trying to get Joseph F. Smith 
to stop uh, having the church confer priesthood but only ordained offices. And Joseph F. Smith threatened to excommunicate him. Emma, you are making all kinds of noise with your mic. Anyway, um, Joseph F. Smith threatened to excommunicate him if if he did that because it, it was, you know, there has there is a way to confer priesthood. And just ordaining to somebody into an office does not confer priesthood. But Joseph F. Smith died. And Hebert J. Grant became the leader of the church. And he was just going to do what he wanted to do. You know, this Babylonian businessman who had gotten into the uh, hierarchy of the church because he was the the nephew, or I think the son, of Jedediah M. Grant, you know. So he gets in there, and he just, he you know, in 1921, he has, he instructs the church to uh, to uh, just do it this way, ordain to offices. No mention of conferring priesthood at all. Now, George Albert Smith continued on with this false practice all the way through his... He became president of the church. He, uh, he changed it back and... Oh, dang it, I'm on wash plant. Hold on. Sometimes I forget that I break up in places. They just get down to the bottom of this hill. It's a really small hill. Am I breaking up still, Emmett? Uh, not really, but you sort of are. It's like not with that specific sentence, no. Okay, I'm down at the bottom of Washington Hill. All right, so um, David O. McKay wanted to go back over all the years, 30-something years, 1921 to 1957, where they did not confer priesthood and fix it. But he had to have a unanimous decision by the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and his counselors, and they couldn't get a unanimous decision. So they just left it the way it was and didn't say anything about it, and now they confer priesthood. But what happens when a man confers priesthood but he had not had it properly conferred upon him? They don't have it. Well, many of your lines of authority within the church all the way up to 2013 were broken. There were lines of authority within the church that were fine, but there are lines, many lines of authority which were just not fine, like and all the ordinances that those people do, none of it is worth anything because they don't have the authority. They've never had the priesthood properly conferred. So there's some other things that happened, too, with the fullness of the priesthood was mentioned in Section 124 and the disobedience of the saints. And Jesus Christ in Section 124, speaking about the revelation, but we can take the principle. If you do not do these things, you shall be rejected as a church with your dead, verse 32 of section 124. And there's other places where they talk, or Jesus talks about the church, uh, you know, being rejected or another people being called. You know, if the saints will not do everything that is required to redeem Zion, another people will be called. And uh, Brigham Young and Heber J. Grant and Jedediah M. Smith and all these people they talked about and Daniel Wells and a bunch of others 
talked about how God would have to raise up another people out of the heart's core of this people that will do what God has commanded because they knew that the saints were just not going to be obedient. Now, if the saints are not doing as they have been commanded, Jesus said, if you don't do these things, you'll be rejected as a church with your dead. Doctrine and Covenants, section 124, verse 32. And to this date, they make all kinds of excuses about how they don't have to live these laws because they're not meant for us. They're meant for another time. There's never been a revelation that has rescinded any of the commandments of God. Not one. People to be obedient, which part of that is gathering together to the Lord's anointed, which I am in Emory County, uh, living united orders, the law of consecration, plural celestial marriage, the law of adoption being filled up to the Lord's anointed. So in Joseph Smith's day, he was the Lord's anointed. He had been filled up to God. And when people were filled to him through the law of adoption, there was a chain that linked mortals on the earth through the sealing power of the Lord's anointed to the gods in the heavens who are all filled together. When Joseph was taken and the law of adoption was done away with, there was an apostasy and those links were uh, severed in the fact that they didn't do it anymore, which was another thing that happened in the 1890s that they don't even talk about. Most people don't even know about the law of adoption. But getting back to the topic at hand, God is looking for quality, not quantity. He wants there to be a people who will live as he has commanded. He is not interested in all of this other stuff. He wants Zion to be redeemed. Everybody will have a chance to receive baptism and all of that, but the kingdom isn't, it doesn't have to be 16 million members. It can be small in the kingdom. The kingdom in Noah's day consisted of eight people. And it was still the kingdom of God on the earth. All right, I'll mute myself. Go ahead, Emmett. Okay, well, that was a small tangent. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so there's a picture of two presidents meeting each other. Anyways, let me continue from page 160. Regarding the church's friendship with the world, Brigham Young was certainly a true prophet when he prophesied. When the spirit of persecution, the spirit of hatred, of wrath, and malice ceases in the world against this people, it will be the time that this people will have apostatized and joined hands with the wicked. And never until then. Journal of Discourses for 327. Um, that was a really short page, I guess, for the image on this, but it's page 161 now. <laughs> uh, anything to say? You may, you may continue. Oh, he's breaking up a tiny bit, but okay, I'll continue. There is nothing that would so weaken my hope and discourage me as to see the pe- this people in full fellowship with the world and receive no more persecution from them because they are one with them. In such an event, we might bid farewell to the holy priesthood with all its blessings, privileges, and aids to exaltations, principalities, and powers in the eternities of the gods. Journal of Discourses 10:32. One of the earliest, uh, one of the early documentations of the Christian era, 
was a manuscript called The Ascension of Isaiah, originally written in Hebrew. It was included in the works of early Christian fathers and writers of the 1st and 2nd centuries. And many scholars quoted from it, i.e., I don't remember what that means, but it's just the i.e. thing. Origen, uh, Tertullian, Justin, Martyr, and Jerome. The manuscript is important because of its accuracy in describing many events of the Christian church, and also the failure of Christian leaders. His disciples will abandon the teaching of twelve apostles, of the twelve apostles, and their faith, and their love, and their purity. And there will be much contention as his coming and at his approach. Oh, at his coming, not as his coming. And in those days, there will be many who have office, although lacking wisdom, and there will be many wicked elders and shepherds who wrong their sheep. And they will be rapacious, rapacious, because they do not have holy shepherds. And many will exchange the glory of the robes of saints for the robes of those who love money. And there will be much respect of persons in those days, and lovers of the glory of the wor- or of this world, and there will be many slanderers and much vain glory at the approach of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit will withdraw from many. And in those days there will be not, or there will not be many prophets, nor those who speak reliable words, except one here and there in different places, because of the spirit of error and of fornication and of vain glory, and of the love of money, um, which there will be among those who are said to be servants of that one, and among those who receive that one. Uh, I think those little star things, the asterisks for the paragraph three of them. And they will make ineffective uh, the prophecy of the prophets who were before me, and my visions also. They will make ineffective in order that they may speak what bursts out of their hearts in order that they speak or that they may speak ascension of isaiah page 161 and we are currently on page 162 as of the middle of that quote (laughs) okay so little tangent yeah so (laughs) there's a lot of true books that were are not in the bible um just going back to the 1611 King James Version of the Bible, from 1611 until it was finished, and then all the way until the 1880s, I think it was, there were a whole bunch more books in the Bible than what we have today. But in the 1880s, a bunch of people were like, "Ah, oh, we can get rid of these. Okay, well, uh, the Christians are all like, well, if you add to or take away, then you can't have whatever. Um, first of all, that is about the revelation of John. You cannot add to or take away from the revelation of John. In Devarim or Deuteronomy, it says do not add to or take away from the law. Okay, so there's that. But, um, you know, they'll use that to uh, scripture to beat Mormons about the head, about having the stick of Ephraim, which Ezekiel talked about in Ezekiel chapter 37 about the record of the tribe of Ephraim that would come and be one in the hand of God with the record of the tribe of Judah, which is the Bible. This is the Bible and the Book of Mormon. But the people are like, oh, we don't need that. We don't need that. 
well, why have you been taking other books out of the Bible if that's what that meant? Like, they won't even look at these other books that used to be in the 1611 King James Version of the Bible, let alone anything else, because, first of all, they're not led by true uh, disciples, true teachers, and true prophets or apostles. You know, they're led into error by their leaders. They need to stop it. Yeah, revelation for yourself on everything. Anyway, go ahead, Emma. Okay, let me unmute. Can you hear me? I'm going to take that as a yes. Yeah, I can hear <laughs> Yes. Okay. Uh, this is one of the clearest documentations of the causes leading to the apostasy of the Christian church. It could also serve as a warning signal to saints in the latter days to help them avoid the same disasters. Power-hungry men exist today who claim to be prophets and say that they have been baptized, ordained, or set apart by angels. This is either a very significant claim or else other deadly deception. How can we tell the difference? The prophet Joseph Smith shed valuable light on this subject in 1832. Elder Francis Gladden Bishop, I think is his name, was seeking to be made a high priest, but for several reasons it was not accomplished. While in the mission field, however, Elder Bishop claimed he was a high priest and that an angel had ordained him. When the prophet Joseph heard about this, he immediately sent for him to be questioned before the school of prophets. Brother Joseph observed to Bishop that he knew he had lied before he confessed it, and that his declarations were not only false in themselves, but they involved a false principle. An angel said, Joseph may administer the word of the Lord unto men, and bring intelligence to them from heaven upon various subjects. But no true angel from God will ever come to ordain any man, because they have once been sent to establish the priesthood by ordaining me thereinto. And the priesthood being once established on earth would power to ordain others. No heavenly messenger will ever come to interfere with that power by ordaining any more. Uh, Millennial Star Editorial 8, 138 and 39. 138 and 139. Okay. Uh, We are on page 163. Anything to say? Yeah, that last quote is really interesting because there's a group rising up among the Latter-day Saints and among those who have broken off from the mainstream church that believe that Joseph Smith will come back. And they, they jump through all of these mental loopholes or whatever to try to make it make sense where Joseph Smith is going to come back and do all these things because he was promised in his blessings that he would be the one that does them and he never fulfilled them so he has to fulfill them okay (sighs) he won't come back as an angel um, simply for the reason that Joseph Smith said in that quote no angel is going to come back when there is priesthood on the earth to do anything that the priesthood on the earth can do. Uh, the scriptures also say that we have this life and then the judgment. Yeah, that's it. There is no such thing as reincarnation within this world. I don't believe that at all. I know that there's some evidence for it, but it's only because people don't understand the truth of what's really going on like these uh, people with reincarnation past memories, they're remembering 
when they were a ministering spirit to that individual, not that they were that individual. That's why there's all these Cleopatras running around. Well, there's many ministering spirits, and they all remember, or sometimes they just do it because they want to be to aggrandize themselves or something like that. But um, he had Joseph had the promise of doing many things if the saints would be obedient. Now, a principle: the angel Moroni told Joseph Smith. In 18, well, I can't remember when it was. It wasn't 1829, I don't think. Maybe it was. Anyway, it doesn't matter. To go get the plates and to take Alvin with him to do it, his older brother. And then Alvin died. So then Joseph took Emma instead. Now, the angel Moroni did not know that Alvin was going to die because God is not as... He doesn't know everything that's going to happen. Like, he's an intelligent being, a very, very intelligent being. And he sets up the parameters for which things happen, but things happen. Joseph had the promise to do things if the people were obedient. But if not, they would be rejected as a church with their dead. So God told him, you know, this is going to happen if this happens, you know, but this is going to happen if this happens. He didn't know what the saints were going to do because we have free agency. And then there's other things, other things that happen that he doesn't have control over. People have made God into something he is not. Anyway, so, um, you know, I, I wish Joseph Smith would, I really wish Joseph Smith would come back. I just don't think he's going to. I know that Bishop Coyle said that Joseph Smith would come back and release every Jack Flash one of those false administrators in the church, speaking of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and the First Presidency of the Church who are in apostasy. I just don't think it's going to happen that way. So, um, and taking that quote that you just read, Joseph Smith would have to be an angel from heaven to come back and do those things. And he's not. He can't do it. Once the priesthood is on the earth, no angel will interfere with the work of man on the earth. That was a dis- and Joseph Smith said, close to the end of his life, that that the uh, that, uh, Elijah would have to come again to commence the work in another dispensation, because there are many dispensations within major dispensations. There are three major dispensations in the celestial time of this earth's history. But the millennium is a dispensation as well. So this isn't the last dispensation. Um, there are dispensations within dispensations. So, and Joseph talked about that. But then, you know, people want to pick and choose and cherry pick and whatnot the things that they want to believe. And then they gaslight and they hide all the other stuff like the LDS Church does today with many things. So, anyway, uh, we're 77% done with the reading. Go ahead, Emmett. I'll mute myself. Okay. Man, let me think of something. I don't remember how uh, Alvin died. I'll have to ask you that later. But continuing on, um, there's often a very fine line between a true prophet and a false one. Both might be sustaining the same religion. Or no, I'm on the wrong page. Uh, 
not 165, 163. Um, since there are still many men who hold the priesthood, and according to Joseph, they will continue to hold it at the end of the millennium, there is oh, no need, know. and it would be... Uh-huh. Yep. Um, you finished the Ascension of Isaiah, page 161, and you're on page 162. I am? I, no, yeah, I just read... Um, a bit ago. This is the, one this is the one of the clearest documents of the causes in, uh leading to the apostasy of the Christian church. That's where you end it. Uh no, because I no, that isn't where I ended. I read uh a bunch of random things. Like I got confused with uh Francis Bishop's name and that's past that. And there's this whole section of bold text that I read just barely. Uh, Millard Star Editorial 8, 138, and 39. Can you hear me? Um, I already... Yeah, I can hear you. I was was actually... uh, The reader program that I have, um, it auto-reads, and it's following along with where you were. And you read... Uh, you read two page 162. You finished that quote, and then, um, and then I spoke about the. Or, well, maybe I don't know. Now I'm confused. I, you just <laughs> I, got done talking about the ascension I, of Isaiah. I specifically remember reading this because a certain section of text is bold, and it's like this big oh, okay. chunk of text that's way far away from it. That's why I was like confused about what you were saying. Um. Yeah. Okay. Page so you're done with section. Yeah, Go that's ahead. where I was at. Okay. Sorry about that little uh, interruption. Yes. Um. Page one sixty three. Finally continuing. Since there are still many men who hold the priesthood, and according to Joseph, they will continue to hold it to the end of the millennium, there is no need. And it would be incorrect for angels to ordain mortal men at this point in time. This is an important key to remember. Another way of distinguishing between false prophets and true prophets is the way that, or the way they are treated by the people of the world. According to Joseph Smith, the world always mistook false prophets for true ones, and those that were sent of God they considered to be false prophets. And hence they killed, stoned, and punished, and imprisoned the true prophets, and these had to hide themselves in deserts and dens and caves of the earth. And though the most honorable men of the earth, uh, they banished them from their society as vagabonds. Um, whilst, whilst, whilst they cherished, honored, and supported uh, knaves, vagabonds, hypocrites, imposters, and the basest of men. Teaching to the Prophet Smith, or the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 206. The prophet Joseph Smith had the devil and mobs and persecutions continually against him. Brigham Young explained in uh, 1853 that God had allowed them for his benefit. Joseph could not have been perfected, though he had lived a thousand years, if he had received no persecution. If he had lived a thousand years and led this people and preached the gospel without persecution, he would not have been perfected as well as he was at the age of 39 years. You may calculate when this people are called to go through scenes of affliction and suffering. 
are driven from their homes and cast down and scattered and smitten and peeled. <laughs> the Almighty is rolling on his work with greater rapidity. Uh, rapidity. Uh, Journal of Discourses 2, 7 to 8. The devil hates true prophets and will gather up all known devices to array against them. Persecution seems to follow them as part of their heritage because the world hates them so much. Page 164, Dad. Anything to say, anyone? <laughs> um, no, not really. Um, Kim, are you on? Yeah. I see your phone. Okay, I was Hi, just Mom. wondering because I see your phone still on the studio, but I wasn't sure if you were there or not. Yeah, I was just getting other things handled. We got home and the uh, kids were uh, playing outside in the dog pen with the dogs, like, you know, just in the gate. So they weren't, like, yeah. everywhere they were in the gate. And I was like, okay, girls, time to stop playing in the hoses. Let's go, you know. So. Okay. Cool. I got my um, nighttime routine thing with them. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, just uh, go ahead, Emma, and read the next page. Okay, I also figured out what was making that noise with my microphone earlier. When I moved it up and down, it clicks a ton. <laughs> and I was adjusting it. Oh. Anyways, 164. Oh, yeah, with the That's microphone. Okay. Yeah. All right, go ahead. 164, I just finished that quote. So, on the other hand, false prophets are an integral part of the world. They love wealth and praise the wor- or praise of the world. They invest in it. They participate in its politics. They form part of its society, and they receive its honors. So why aren't there any evident persecutions today? Could it be that the devil is already happy with the way things are? Why doesn't the Lord treat false prophets like he did the barren fig tree that he cursed because it produced no fruit and it withered away? Why does the Lord allow false prophets to threaten his own people? This is beautifully answered in a revelation to Orson Hyde. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. In my meditations this morning, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and I was moved to write, and being grieved in my spirit on on account of false pretenses by evil designing persons to gain power, and to lead away the flock of God, it whispered, Uh, There's two in the box, which means I think he intended to say two, but didn't in this quote. It whispered me and said, evil men, ambitious of power, must needs arise among you. And they shall be led by their own self-will and not by thee. Yet they are instruments in my hands and are permitted to try my people and to collect from among them those who are not the elect and such as are unworthy of eternal life. Grieve not after them, neither nor neither mourn nor be alarmed. My people know my voice, and also the voice of my spirit. And a stranger they will not follow. Therefore, such as follow strangers are not my people. Revelation given through Apostle Orson Hyde at Nauvoo, Illinois, April 1846, as printed in uh, Unpublished Revelations, I think, edited by Coilier, Coiler, Collier, Volume 1, PP 104 and 105. And now we are on page 156. Dad, anything to say? Uh, any help with that last quote? <laughs> oh, I think you might be breaking up or something, broken up. 
Um, I'm going to continue on then from page 165. There is often a very fine line between a true prophet and a false one. Both might be sustaining the same religion and the same scriptures and the same cause of Israel. And yet they are operated on by two distant and opposing spirits. The prophet explained that one great evil is that men are ignorant of the nature of spirits, their power, laws, government, intelligence, etc. And imagine that when there is any... Why is there an echo, Emmett? Well, is there an echo for you still? Yeah, there was a huge echo, and I was hearing a whole bunch of backfeed from my phone that was muted. Emmett, are you there? Hello? Hey, were you there? Yeah, it connected to the other headset. Okay. Someone keeps connecting it to it. Whoever has them needs to stop. It keeps connecting to my phone. Okay. Is that the earbuds? Is that what you're talking about? Sorry, I'm just in a bad area. Uh, Okay. Just have her put them away and not turn them on until we're done. What was that? Hear me now. Oh, Olivia. Yeah, I'm in a bad uh, area. Oh, okay. Can you hear me, Mom? Yep, you're good. Okay. Uh, She kept connecting the headset, and I kept switching up my phone. Sorry, everyone listening. Um, Let me continue anyways. Uh, I last remember reading on 165, I think. Um, is there anything you have to say about that, Mom? Or? Just go ahead and read the next page, Emma. Okay. It sounded like she was saying something in the other room, but I think she's talking to a kid. Anyways, I'm just going to read from 165 because there was that whole thing. There is often a very fine line between a true prophet and a false one. Both might be sustaining the same religion, the same scriptures, the same cause of Israel, and yet they are operated on by two different and opposing spirits. The prophet explained that one great evil is that men are ignorant of the nature of spirits, their power, laws, government, intelligence, etc., and imagine that there is anything, or that when there is anything like power, revelation, or vision manifested, that it must be of God. Teaching from the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 203. He went on to explain, nothing is a greater injury to the children of men than to be under the influence of a false spirit when they think that they have the spirit of God. Teaching from the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 205. Joseph even admitted The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has also had its false spirits. And as it is made up of all those different sects professing every variety of opinion, and having been under the influence of so many kinds of spirits, it is not to be wondered at if there should be found among us false spirits. 
Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 213. Uh, I had something cut in my throat there. We need to recognize some of the red warnings, uh, red warning flags of detecting these false spirits and false prophets. Uh, this is a list. First, contradicting scripture. Second, contradicting former revelations. Third, unintelligent manifestations. Fourth, confusing revelations. Uh, fifth, revelations praising the revelator. Six, lacking or misinterpreting spiritual gifts. And this is page 166, but I'm going to finish reading the list before you have any comments, Dad. Seventh, criticism of true prophets. Eighth, changing eternal laws of the gospel. Ninth, changing ordinances. Tenth, teaching false principles and doctrines. Eleventh, supporting worldly governments. Twelfth, twelfth, seeking wealth and or high positions. Thirteenth, receiving Gentile friendship. Fourteenth, seeking Gentile favors and honors. Fifteenth, acknowledging and accepting evil such as abortion. Sixteenth, sustaining laws of the land over God's laws. Seventeenth, doing evil deeds or causing them. Eighteenth, unwilling to sacrifice or give to the poor. Eight or nineteenth, failing in their prophecies. Twentieth, teaching to trust in the arm of flesh. Okay, Dad, is there anything you had to say? That was the end of the list. Or not? Um, no, I mean, so the church has given in to so much over the last hundred and something years that they are beginning to be overtaken by the wicked evils of the world. And uh, in 2015, God released strong delusions, uh, spiritual and physical plagues. He started releasing them more abundantly upon the earth. You just cut out there. Okay, well, he cut out, uh, so I'm going to continue reading. Unless, Mom, do you have anything to say? Nope, I don't. Do you need me to read? No, I like reading. It's fun. I'm almost done, too, so. Okay, I figured, and you're doing a great job, so no worries. Thank you. Um. Okay. I just finished that list. There's three asterisks again. And in concluding this chapter, listen to the admonitions of this dispensation's first prophet. If any man writes to you or preaches to you doctrines contrary to the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Book, and doc- or the book of Doctrine and Covenants, set him down as an imposter. Times and Seasons, April 1st, 1884. Do not betray the revelations of God, whether in Bible, Book of Mormon, or Doctrine and Covenants, or any other that was, that ever was or ever will be given, lest innocent blood be found upon your skirts and you go down to hell. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 156. And if any man preach any other gospel than that which I have preached, he shall be cursed, and some of you who now hear me, shall see it, and know that I testify the truth concerning them. Historical Record 7, 548, page 176, and this is a short one. Nevertheless, as this chapter has shown, these false prophets are very necessary in helping the true saints to gain their exaltation. Since we seem to have more false prophets now than ever before, we should feel blessed to have an even greater opportunity to gain exaltation. And that is the end of chapter 11 and page 168, the beginning of chapter 12, A House in Confusion.
Does anyone have anything to say? <laughs> Are you there, Mom? Or Dad? No. Yep, I've got the baby right here. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, okay. So I'm just going to do what I did yesterday and read the first page of this next chapter. Uh, yep, so what you're going to do that is you're going to... Yep, you're just going to give out what the number is to call in. So 917-889-8827. Yeah, yep, that's the, that's the call in. number. Yep, so if there's any questions or comments, um, you can call in at that time, and uh, Mark will be on with you, and he will be able to um, chat with you, ask or answer any questions that you want. Um, Hopefully. <laughs> yep, or, yeah, he will. He usually gets right on. Um, and yeah. yeah, and we're just going to read a little bit, give people time to call in if they want to, if they have any questions or comments. Um, yeah, we always love to have people call in. It's a lot of fun. Okay. So go ahead and read. Okay. Again, the number is 917-889-8827. Hi, Arius. Oh, dad, you're back. Hi. Yeah. Um, I'm getting loaded. Um, when oh, I get down, okay. I'm going to be going down the hill. Hold on. Yeah, I just started on my pup. So anyway, um, just read until I get back to you, Emmett. Uh, it might be a page or two, if that's fine. Uh, when I get okay. back down to the bottom of the hill, um, I will make sure that uh, I, if anybody wants to come on, the phone number is 917-889-8827. Push 1 to have your line unmuted, and I will bring you into the call screening room, and then uh, and then I'll bring you live on the air. Uh, you don't have to be uh, live on the air. You can ask me questions in the call screening room, and then I can po- uh, answer those questions live on the air. So. All right, I'm going to mute myself. Go ahead and read the next page or two for a preview for tomorrow's program, and uh, I'll mute myself. Thank you. Okay, I think I'm unmuted. Uh, My phone says I am. Um, Okay, I'm going to continue on. Uh, Well, I guess start this next chapter, page 168, chapter 12, A House in Confusion. Um, we're reading on Holy Priesthood, Volume 5, on page 915 in The Ensign to the Nations, Volume 2. Continuing. Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house, which have no, no eyes, ugh, which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious home. Uh, Ezekiel, I believe, 12, 2. Um, I have to flip the page over. Churches are composed of many personalities and nationalities. Nationalities. They are like a schoolhouse with many levels of intelligence and understanding. Thus, revelation to the church has to be very general to apply to all members, which, or whereas revelation to an individual is designed to fit the, specific, the specific needs of the individual. Uh, if you have ten people or a thousand in the group, or in a group, the only possible level on which they can be united or in agreement is the level of the lowest of the lot, and that isn't exalting to anyone very high. Patriarchal Order of Family Government, Harold W. Blackmore, 1974, page 70. 
Some of these quotes are tongue twisters. <laughs> okay, continuing. Church leadership cannot rise much higher than the level of its members, nor does the level of the church members rise above its leaders. Thus, sometimes church leadership impedes the advancement of individuals. Since church leaders can dispense only general information, individuals must rise above the general level of the church to achieve exaltation. All 10 million Mormons are not going to walk through the celestial gate. So every saint, using correct guidelines, must reach as high as he can by himself. Most men, governments, and even churches eventually fall. Uh, we are on page 169. Um, nice. Anything anyone wants to say? I'm going to take that as a no and continue on. Okay. Um, page 169. Um, too frequently, church members are content to go with the flow, not make waves or buck the establishment. They prefer to enjoy the social comfort and security of the church, which serves as a type of teddy bear or pacifier. It creates a condition of coziness without real courage. Too often a church becomes a cult, which according to Lou Chandler, Chandler, is a body of people where a leader proclaims doctrine or truth and determines rules for daily life that cannot be questioned. And where individual thought is discouraged, a member is expected to surrender his or her intellect to unquestioned doctrine. Uh, from why do some perceive the church to be a cult? Chandler, Dialogue, Summer. 1955, page 123. An important distinction, then, is that a cult is a body of people following a leader, while religion is a group of people following God. Um, I guess you could say a God, but um, that's just religion in general. History is of little worth if we don't learn from it. Uh, man, I'm blind. Those who pass before us naturally make mistakes, and if we don't learn from their faults, failings, and disasters, then we have or missed the purpose of education. What happened to the church that Christ established? That history should be, certainly be of great value. Professor James R. Barker wrote a book about the falling away of Christ's church. He spent most of his life studying this field, even going to Europe on his pursuit or on this pursuit. One significant statement he made was, um, and this is beginning of page 170, it is important also to follow the history of Christianity down through the centuries to learn what important changes, if any, were made in the doctrine, organization, and government. When they were made, and by what authority? Apostasy from the Divine Church, Barker, PP 5 and 6. Um, is there anything anyone has to say? I think someone tried to unmute nope. themselves. I heard static. Oh, okay. Uh, you can probably just hear Arius in the background because he's talking. A little bit, but not very much. Um. Okay, so I'm going to continue then, right? Right. Okay. Thus, the purpose of this chapter is to study and learn some of the changes that brought about the apostasy of Christ's church and to show how those changes can happen again. Jesus said that in the last days, false Christs, false prophets, and deceivers would become very so prevalent. It would become so prevalent that they would deceive almost to the very elect. 
Um, he is talking about his own church and people, and the same warning is commonly recorded throughout the scriptures. Apostasy is a continual danger to the church, and the New Testament contains repeated warnings against it. It increases in times a special trial and is encouraged by false teachers who seduce believers from the purity of the word with another gospel. Um, illusionary Bible, Illustrated Bible, one of those, uh, DIC 178. Uh, dictating, that's what that one is. Or something like that. It has been foretold that much of the, the latter-day apostasy would come about as a result of persecution. Hastings Bible Dictionary, page 46. Unger said, or Unger said it would come from men with a form of godliness without power, but not from outward, the outward profession of it. Unger's Bible Dictionary, or dictating is one of those. I think dictionary is the other one was. Page 72. In his book, The Great Apostasy, Dr. James E. Talmadge described apostasy in two distinct phases or stages. First, apostasy from the church, and second, apostasy of the church. Page 23. Um, actually, it should be stated apostasy from God and apostasy from the gospel. The church is merely an organization and does nothing itself. It's the members who deviate from the truth and apostatize. Or apostatize. That includes all members because no one is exempt from temptation. The question might be asked, why didn't God protect his church leaders from apostasy? This question was answered by Dr. Talmadge. Um, and before that, we are on page 171. Dad, are you back yet? Mom, are you there? Yeah, I'm back. Okay. All uh, right, so... I really enjoyed Talmadge, but he was the one that perpetuated the whole false doctrine that Jesus Christ and Jehovah are the same person, which is false doctrine, and it was not taught in the church until after Brigham Young died in the 1880s. Uh, Brigham Young died in 1877. <clears throat> anyway, and it contradicts Ether Chapter 3, where Jesus says, I've never appeared to anyone before this point, but Jehovah had appeared to many before that point. Um, there's a list in the, um, I can't remember what it's called, um, not the Articles of Faith, Lectures on Faith, of all the people that Jehovah had appeared to before the flood, or Jehovah or Elohim. But um, Jesus said, I've not yet appeared to man on the earth, and that was after the flood. And that just shows that Jehovah or Elohim and Yeshua or Jesus are two separate individuals. And he really perpetuated that lie in his book, Jesus the Christ. But I really enjoyed that book. I've read it literally dozens of times. I mean, I love that book. And then I found errors, and I was like, what? Anyway, because I was like full in TBM, like true blue Mormon, big time. Anyway, so, um, so I do still enjoy Talmadge. But you just have to realize that once Satan gets his claws into things, he just keeps on getting further and further into the church and causing these individuals who proclaim themselves to be prophets, seers, and revelators to change things when they are not prophets, seers, and revelators. They have no fruit of being prophets, seers, and revelators. And they're in a church that Jesus Christ said he rejected in section 124. So... 
you know, is it any wonder that Jesus said, I will send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order? They want to tell you that the house is in order and that there's no reason for correction. But they keep correcting the gospel out of the church through their many little cuts here, cuts there, you know. Anyway, um, so, yeah, we don't have everybody in the call-in line. Uh, Kim, are you on? Okay, I guess. I think she's listening, but there's people there. Okay, that's fine. Um, We're going to just cut off the show for today. Uh, Because once I get cut off and I drop the call after 10 p.m., it's in overdrive and I can't call back in. So nobody can call in as soon as the live streaming portion is over with. So we'll come back on tomorrow with more. uh, What's this next chapter called, Emmett? Hold on. Let me flip the page over. It went on. It was like right at the bottom of the page. Uh, Chapter 12, A House in Confusion. Oh, yeah, I remember you reading that. Okay, well, we'll be back on tomorrow every night. Thank you for listening to this. It's on iTunes and at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentalmormon. Emmett, do not hang up your line because you're on the host line until you hear the end of okay. the music, but go ahead and mute your mic. Okay, uh, okay. just one thing so, before that. Goodbye, everyone. Have a good night. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yes. Thank you for listening. Okay, I'm going to play the music, and uh, I'll mute my line as well. So, all right, here we go. Take care, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Mm -hmm.